Hi, Screen Sirens friends. Uh, we're about to get into the episode about Father of the Bride, but we wanted to give a little disclaimer that we had some tech issues when we were recording. Yeah, my audio is a little bit rough at points, um, thanks to calling in to a Zoom call, but we hopefully made it easy to hear and listen. Enjoy the episode. I'm Hillary. I'm Emily. And we're the Sirens. Today we're discussing Father of the Bride, which is a 1950 movie starring Spencer Tracy, Joan Bennett, and Elizabeth Taylor. And side note, we think this is our first Elizabeth Taylor movie that we've watched for the past. Mm-hmm. It's the story of a young woman's engagement and marriage from, as the title suggests, her father's perspective. It was directed by um, Vincent Minnelli and adapted from, excuse me, it was adapted by Francis Goodrich and Albert Hackett from the 1949 novel by Edward Streeter. It was nominated for Academy Awards for Best Actor in a Leading Role, Best Picture, and Best Writing in like for a Screenplay. And just to get into the trivia briefly, it's the only movie that was nominated for Best Picture of that year that didn't win any Academy Awards. Oh. Yeah. Fun fact. I'm surprised it was nominated for so many things. Like, I thought it was good, but I didn't think it was that good. I know. I mean, it was only nominated for Best Actor in a Leading Role for Spencer Tracy, Best Picture, and Best Screenplay. So, I mean... Um, do you have more trivia because i'm curious like i deliberately did not look up trivia for this so that i would be surprised do you want me to like get do the basic um like get in a little bit more of the plot of the movie to the extent that there is any more of a plot than just a woman gets married (laughs) yes Yes, for a second, I thought the way that you were talking about the plot, you were going to center Kay's character. And I was like, ooh, I like this. Yeah, how? <laughs> but no, I please. would love to have centered Kay's character <laughs> in this movie. Um, unfortunately, I think the perspective of this movie is that, like, the father is a lot going on, apparently. Stanley and Ellie Banks have three kids. Their oldest is Kay, who gets engaged suddenly, apparently, to Buckley. All at once, the whole family is swept into wedding plans, much to Stanley's chagrin, and flowers, dresses, fancy catering, a total upset of the family house, and lots of expensive extras ensue. If you think about action, like what action transpires in this movie, it's very little. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just sort of the, you know, she's getting married. He's disgruntled the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's that's all that happens. Yeah. yeah, that's the plot of this movie. Um, it does seem like Spencer Tracy has to do a lot of heavy lifting because there isn't much happening. Like there's a lot of him sighing and face acting. Yeah. Um I know. well, and yeah, and because his character is such a like curmudgeon about everything, like all John Bennett does in this movie is basically stare at him in like utter disbelief that like (laughs) he's acting the way that he's acting. Yeah, it does seem (laughs) like she's just perpetually frustrated with him. And 
And he's so negative. I think like I would have a hard time with that being my dad's like whole approach to my getting married. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, like in general, it's like not most positive. Like he like made the whole thing about himself. basically. Yeah, he did. Although, I mean, I rewatched the end like after I had watched the whole movie because I felt like I was sort of zoning out. And then like the second time I watched it, I got it. I felt a totally different read on it. So we'll talk. We'll talk about it. But um, yes, please tell me your trivia. So uh, Spencer Tracy wanted Catherine Hepburn for his screen wife. But uh, I guess the um, producers thought that they were too romantic a team to play a happily domesticated couple with children. What? Which is so much, so much to unpack there. Um, <laughs> got the part. Well... <laughs> There wasn't enough for Katherine Hepburn to do in that role anyway. Yeah. The premiere of the movie took place 12 days after Elizabeth Taylor's real life marriage to Conrad Hilton. The premiere took place on May 18, 1950, which coincidentally is the day after we are recording this movie. So we like un- unintentionally like plan this around the, uh, the anniversary of this movie. Oh. Um, the publicity... I know, right? <laughs> like, we, sh- we, plan- we totally planned it. <laughs> um, the, and it was said that the pu- publicity around her real-life marriage helped make this movie so successful because she was in the news a lot. And it's just like was- High Society with Grace Kelly. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Um, Life imitates just like doing art. a marriage plot every single time. We are. So Joan Bennett and Elizabeth Taylor um, had a couple of coincidences in their lives together. Um, So they both played the role of Amy March in screen adaptations of Little Women. Joan Bennett played it in the 1933 version, and uh, Elizabeth Taylor played the role in the 1949 version. Um, They also have the same birthday of February 27th. Interesting. I don't think I put that together that they had both played. I I think that says something about them too, that they would take on kind of an unlikable role like that. Yeah, I think you're right about that. An interesting side to both of them. So Kay and Buckley's wedding in the movie is June 10th. And it was a nod by um, Vincent Minnelli to his wife, Judy Garland, because that was her birthday, June 10th. Also, like, unfortunately, 17 years later, that was also the day that Spencer Tracy died in 1967. Oh, dear. It's it's either an auspicious or an inauspicious day. I mean, we will get into it. I'm surprised that we have not done an Elizabeth Taylor movie up until this point. Although I guess our range of years is kind of on the early side to Mm -hmm. touch on some of her biggest films. That's true. I thought she was quite good in this, even though it was not a super complex role. So, but I, so had you, I will, I'm going to buy Elizabeth Taylor, but I wanted to ask quickly, have you seen this movie before? I had not seen this movie before. I had seen the 90s adaptation of this movie. <laughs> yeah. I think similarly, I saw the 90s version before I, I've seen this one, but I the one that I grew up with was the 90s version um, with mm-hmm. Steve Martin. So there's a lot of differences that we can get into. <laughs> but <laughs> I am going to briefly bio Elizabeth Taylor because 
you know, she's one of the most famous women probably of all time. So I, I can't go into everything. But mm-hmm. Elizabeth Rosemond Taylor was born on February 27th, 1932 in Northwest London. She received dual mm-hmm. British American citizenship at birth because her parents, art dealer Frances Len Taylor and retired stage actress Sarah Southern were U.S. citizens both originally from uh, Kansas and the family. Yeah. I didn't know that about her. Uh, The family remained in London during her childhood and she grew up among artists such as Augustus John and Lauren Knight and politicians such as Colonel Victor Cazalet, who was a conservative MP because her parents owned an art gallery. So she was kind of with the toffs, I guess. Uh, In early 1939, they decided to return to the United States due to fear of the impending war in Europe, and they ultimately settled in Beverly Hills. And she began her career as a child actress in the early 40s. She made her debut with a minor role in the Universal Pictures film There's One Born Every Minute in 1942, but then the studio dropped her, and... She was signed by MGM and became a popular teen star after appearing in National Velvet, which is a movie that I liked a lot growing up because horse Mm -hmm. girl. (laughs) She transitioned to mature roles in the 50s when she starred in this movie in 1950, and she received critical acclaim for her performance in A Place in the Sun in 1951, which I think is a movie that we should do sometime. Um, she starred in the historical adventure epic Ivanhoe in 1952 with Robert Taylor and Joan Fontaine. And despite being one of MGM's most bankable stars, she actually considered ending her career at this point because she felt like the studio was too controlling and she didn't like the roles that she was getting. Uh, but of, of course she didn't because we know she went on to do a lot of other interesting work. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, She began receiving more enjoyable roles in the mid-50s, beginning with the epic drama Giant, which we have considered doing for the podcast, but it's like three hours long. Yeah, Uh, longer than I've been alive. (laughs) um, That came out in 1956, and then she went on to star in more critically and commercially successful films including two Tennessee Williams adaptations, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof in 1958 and Suddenly Last Summer in 1959. Um, Yeah, which she won a Golden Globe for. And she actually did not like her role as a call girl in Butterfield 8 in 1960, um, but she won the Academy Award for Best Actress for the performance. And Hmm. during the production of the film Cleopatra in 61, she and co-star Richard Burton began an affair, which caused a scandal because they were both married. And despite the negative perception of it, they continued their relationship, ended up getting married in 1964. And then they became known as the pair, Liz and Dick. And they starred in 11 films together, including The VIPs, The Sandpiper, The Taming of the Shrew, and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which came out in 1966. And she received the most acclaim of her career for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and won her second Academy Award and several other awards for that performance. She and Burton famously divorced in 1974, but then remarried in 75 and then divorced again in 76. 
Uh, so I think it was supposed to be considered sort of like a tumultuous relationship, but passionate. So Taylor's acting career began to decline in the late 1960s, although she continued starring in films until the mid 70s. In the 80s, she acted in her first stage roles and several television oh, films really? and series. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Um, and she became the second celebrity to launch a perfume brand after Sophia Loren. Oh. And, yeah, and I I feel like I definitely saw ads for her perfume in magazines when I was growing up. Yeah. Uh, Taylor was one of the first celebrities to take part in HIV AIDS activism, and she co-founded the American Foundation for AIDS Research in 1985 and the Elizabeth Taylor AIDS Foundation in 1991. And from the early 90s to her death, she dedicated her time to philanthropy, for which she received several awards, including the Presidential Citizens Medal. And after many years of ill health, Taylor died from congestive heart failure in 2011 at the age of 79. Well, as an addendum, um, (laughs) I I didn't, there was so much, but she actually had health issues her entire life, but she was born with bad scoliosis. And when she was filming National Velvet, she broke her back and had like really bad back issues for most of her life and had surgery around it and had to get like bones donated. Yes, that was, I mean, I'm sure that probably caused some sort of chronic pain that also impacted her life broadly. So I'm glad that you bioed her because I feel like I didn't really know anything about her, even though I like, I remember I like the perfume and I remember vaguely when she died. I I feel like she's become just sort of a reference now (laughs) like an often sort of a derogatory one um Mm -hmm. and one of the other things I read about her was that critics were really really hard on her and that she Mm -hmm. even though she's now considered like one of the best actresses she never really got good reviews when her films came out and everyone just thought she was sort of playing herself Mm, which mm -hmm. doesn't really seem to be true but (laughs) you know how when you're a successful talented woman that like you know people just come out of the wood yes exactly (laughs) so that's her and uh i just she i thought looked absolutely lovely in this movie and had a lot of sweetness and there were a couple points in the movie where i noted that even though she wasn't speaking she was emoting a great deal like i thought that she showed some acting chops in this because i also feel like she wasn't given a whole ton to do i mean she was given more than the ellie wife character but I still was like yeah. more interested in her in her life and we don't really get any of that. Yeah, we don't really learn anything about like her motivations or what's driving her, what she's interested in at all. <laughs> <laughs> so broad strokes, I mean, what did you think of this movie? I mean, I thought it was like a nice diversion. You know, it was like entertaining I found myself thinking like okay dude like (laughs) you have every entitlement in the world and like why are you like running around complaining all the time like sorry you have an enormous house in some New York City suburb (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, he kept saying yeah. over and over again, like, I'm just a middle class man. And I was like, I don't look like a, just a middle class man. You have a huge house. Yeah. It seems like you're a partner at your firm. You have a maid. Like, yeah. you know, it's that's not middle class to me. Yeah, it's a testament to how the like the definition of middle class must have changed significantly in the last 70 years or whatever because yeah or um, I mean I guess it shows like now everyone kind of likes to say that they're middle class everyone from you know very blue collar like making a low hourly wage up to like I have I own several houses and (laughs) take like five star vacations every year and all of that stuff yeah but you're just middle class it's fine yeah (laughs) I think that's because we need more tears. We need a better definition. Um, no, what we need is we need the proletariat to rise up and overthrow the, I mean, the very wealthy. That is true. I mean, back to Metropolis. <laughs> Workers need to organize. They need to overthrow. <laughs> <laughs> like I know. I, well, I was thinking, like, at the end of the movie, Ellie says to Stanley, like, we better try to clean this up. We can't leave it all for Delilah. And I was like, if I were Delilah and I walked into this house the next day, yeah. I would, like, burn the building down. If it was, like, rice all over the floor and confetti everywhere and <laughs> burn the building down. So, yes. yes. I mean, I tend um, to agree with you about the yeah. movie generally, like, that it it's pleasant, but I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. It was just, I just sort of felt like, oh, okay, like, this is nice, but I'm yeah. not captivated. Yeah. I mean, like, at some point, I... I don't know. I knew that Joan Bennett was in this movie, and then at some, like, at some point early on, I was like is Joan Bennett the mother? Because she looked so different from like Joan Bennett as Amy and Little Women that I had to like pause it and like do some go down the Joan Bennett like rabbit hole, which like I think, you know, added to the pleasantness of this movie of like sort of like making those like Hollywood history connections or whatever. But Well, I also thought she looked very young like there were scenes where like at the wedding with the bridesmaids and stuff I kept thinking I kept mistaking her for a bridesmaid because she's like 41 in this movie because you know she got married like the character got married when she was 18 and her daughter her oldest child is 20 so like (laughs) she's and Joan Bennett was like 41 or 42 I think she's like our age and like a 20 year old Watching it this time compared to growing up with the other adaptation, I felt like I identified more with the parents. And I know like growing up, mm-hmm. I definitely identified mm-hmm. with the kids. And I don't know. I mean, my my kids are so young that that's not like this is in the imminent future. But there was sort of like a poignant aspect to it that did hit mm-hmm. home with me about really a sense of grief of like launching your kids and I heard someone say like on a podcast once that if you are successful in raising your kids it means that they leave you like your the success is that they leave and like how hard that is and especially in this kind of setup where it seemed like she had lived at home her whole life then 
I think yeah. it would be pretty jarring to be like, okay, bye, child. Like they they didn't even know who she was yeah. marrying. They were like, who is this dude? Yeah, they hadn't met his parents, and yeah, which like I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a requirement, but like, I think speaks to like just how little they did not know each other. Yeah. Well, and I was curious about like what the next steps were. Like, were they going to be like moving into an apartment in the city, or like where were where were they going to live? Yeah, that is a good point that they didn't address in the movie. Because if it was just like, oh, they're they bought a house in the town and they're gonna be there that's not as big of a deal as like potentially moving away but I don't know I just thought it was sad and at the end like the way that they couldn't connect and then she calls Mm -hmm. him was kind of a it was a nice choice yeah but it basically was like you know now that she's made this step that he's no longer like primary to her and I don't know, it was just kind of sad. I don't know. Maybe I was like watching it in a sad mood. I was like, you know, that's what happens. Like your children leave you and you just have to accept that. I think the word poignant is really like rings really true to me about this movie. Like it's sweet, but there's like a ring of sadness around it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. And there is a sense of like, you still think of yourself as kind of being part of your nuclear or like primary family of birth for like a long time, but at a certain point that shifts in your life. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. It's just, that was the thing that I probably liked the best or like found the most compelling about this because all his just like harumphing about how much everything cost. I was like, I, no, I don't care. Like, I don't care about this. Well, and like, also I'm like, I don't care. And if it really, if you really could not afford it, like, like you seem to be playing a role in the family dude of like the ultimate decider. If you really truly could not afford it, like there wouldn't be a movie about you and you could say no. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I mean, they obviously could afford it because they did it. I did think it was funny. The scene where he's like trying to fit into his old suit. Oh my God, that was hilarious. (laughs) <laughs> like and at some like, point she comes up uh, Ellie comes up and is like watching from the hallway and like her face is kind of inscrutable she's kind of like horrified that she's like come up across him doing this <laughs> <laughs> I mean that rang true to me that it was the kind of thing that like my dad was not this kind of dad like at all but I was like the one thing that mm-hmm. I could see like him doing would be like trying to wear an old suit instead of buying a new one (laughs) (laughs) that's funny because it'd be like this one's still good (laughs) (laughs) buttons are gonna pop off but did you so the all the stuff about like you know she's my little girl and like having to give her away and being like what what is your financial situation like potential partner for my child like none of that resonated with me like that was not how I that I did like just did not have that kind of dad (laughs) so and I don't think you did either no I did not Like, I think there's sort of, like, a very traditional type of dad. And, like, if people were watching this, they'd be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense to me. But, like, it didn't. I was just like, this this guy is super patriarchal. All he cares about is money. He cares about if the guy she's marrying has money and how much money this is going to cost. Yeah, it was just all about money. (laughs) I, I don't know. that. 
if it felt more like sort of stereotype of like you have to a guy marrying a girl has to like impress the father and that's like the essential like approval that he needs which just seemed dumb and I guess that's how it was done but it's just like I don't I don't have time for this I know I can't relate to that (laughs) no I I mean mean, I wish that there had been more like I don't know more like demonstrative moments of like tenderness between like Kay and her dad just as a like I don't know to like demonstrate the like the warmth of their relationship because like mostly I mean I guess there were a few moments of like you know like when they're both up in the middle of the night and we know as the the viewers that like he's had this like terrible nightmare about like Mm -hmm. letting her down essentially like going down the aisle and he's let her down you know then he goes into the kitchen and she's and she's like oh you know I couldn't sleep and you know why are you up and he just says oh I was hungry and then she like basically says like I started worrying about basically what he'd been worrying about and he like has very reassuring words for her and so we sort of get to see like oh he's playing the parent role like obviously and like you wouldn't say to your daughter who's getting married like oh I just had this terrible dream you know blah 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 he's like providing a little bit of or creating a little bit of distance between his own like anxieties and like taking care of her and I I liked that and I wish that there'd been more of that in this movie to like, you know, not just glimpses of him being a supportive dad, but like full blown, you know, movie about him being a supportive dad. But I guess like then we wouldn't have a movie. There would be no conflict. No, I mean, but that's true. The only reason we know any of this is because the movie is from his perspective. But it also struck me that he doesn't talk to his wife at all about like all the emotional aspects of the daughter getting yeah. married like he doesn't say how it's making him feel and he sort of feels like he's losing her and even when she calls mm-hmm. him at the very end from the train station he's just like oh that's great honey he doesn't show his own vulnerability yeah um, right at any point and he's he's not like connecting with anyone in the family he's just like privately feeling a certain way and worrying yeah so it's kind of sad i was like even if he didn't talk to his daughter about it i was like why aren't you talking to your wife she's also probably feeling this way Yeah. yeah i mean it did the whole thing did feel very like old school, like traditional masculine. Like he was almost performing a certain role and then like couldn't show any sort of like quote unquote weak emotions. Yeah, quote unquote. <laughs> um, I did love that dream part. I laughed out loud at that when like the the church aisle turns to like like jelly, almost like a trampoline or something, yeah. and he's just yeah. he can't get through. Yeah, I thought that was amazing, and that, just like to think about like how they must have done that, like technically, I was yeah, I loved that. <laughs> yeah, and all the like grotesque faces that they showed of like people in the crowd being horrified that he couldn't make it down the aisle. That was so funny. So that's why I thought that he actually was very good in this role because it, it sort of was a combination of like emotional and like dramatic, but then also funny that I think is kind of hard to pull off. Yeah. And like for the most part, he did pull it off. Yeah, I I think he did. I think some of it was just, it was more the writing that, I mean, I don't, I don't know. He seems also sort of like a toxic masculinity type of person, like Spencer Tracy himself. But so I don't know if 
he would have been drawn <laughs> to a role where he was just like sobbing with his daughter about how she was all grown up or something. But, <laughs> but yeah, like with the material that he was given, I thought he did a good job. Yeah, right. The material he was given, given the role that you or the person that he was, was entertaining and pleasant. Yeah. Oh, oh, that line at the end of the movie that he says to his wife about a son until he gets a wife, a daughter's a daughter for life, or I'm paraphrasing, yeah, or but it was something like that was so striking to me that I was just like, oh my gosh. This is horrible because have you seen that um, conversation going around the internet about eldest daughters? Oh, yes, vaguely. Because it was like, are you are you burned out or are you just an oldest daughter? And it was saying how, you know, basically, even if the daughter like leaves or starts her own family or something, they're still sort of expected to be like caretakers for the family and like treat that as their primary family whereas the sons can like go off and do whatever people talk about it like it's like having an unpaid internship for your entire life (laughs) (laughs) but that it did make me think about that because like basically the way he comforts himself is like well she's a girl so she's always Mm -hmm. gonna have to like come back to us because she's obligated (laughs) okay maybe right. maybe don't do that to her <laughs> maybe have her like spend time with you because she wants to well and then like he said he like as, at some point in the movie where he's like oh, i paid for all this stuff and i have to like give all these gifts and blah 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 and ellie explains like that's what you do when you're the father of the bride like the parents of the bride pay first all the stuff and then he realizes that he only has one daughter and like he's never gonna he doesn't have to do this again and that all he has to do for his like older son is like give him away like like here's my son (laughs) just like (laughs) it's not sexism in like a in like one line i don't know what it is (laughs) that's true and I've heard this phrase that like for mothers of the groom, all you are asked to do is show up and wear beige because, <laughs> you know, it's not considered like the primary planning family and you're just supposed to be yeah. an appendage, basically. <laughs> I don't know. Watching this definitely made me, it made like things about my own wedding like come up for me that I hadn't thought about in a very long time. Like what? <laughs> Well, I do remember how, like, even with trying to keep things really as inexpensive as we could, like, the cost just kept, at, like, everything just somehow was so expensive. And, like, just I like that was, even though I thought he was being sort of grouchy and terrible, I was like, in a way, that is kind of how it feels. It's just like, oh, one more thing. And how much does that cost? <laughs> so there was that aspect. But even at the wedding scene where there were just huge crowds of people and he didn't even get to see his daughter. I did like we didn't have a huge wedding or anything but it did feel like you sometimes like you could barely see someone there because there's like a whole order of events and like it you there's just no downtime like when you're the people who are actually getting married you're sort of in every action that's happening and like if you might be like oh I want to sit and talk to my grandmother for like 15 minutes but like you don't get that time yeah so I did think about that I also thought it was interesting how he 
he was actually kind of mad that they wanted to have a church wedding uh-huh. because he was like, well, we didn't have a church wedding and we just hired like a justice of the peace or whatever. Like we did it in our living room in a suit. Yeah. Which like then Ellie was like, no, I'm not doing that to my daughter having a church wedding <laughs> but for how conservative he was and all it's i was surprised that he was like we're all we're not doing that but but it just fell in the line of like well they should just do things exactly how we did them because we did them the right way exactly yeah and they didn't cost that much money <laughs> yeah it, it also reminded me too of like you know when i was planning my wedding my parents were like not exactly like hippie-ish but like sort of of that time where it was like pre-wedding industrial complex and Mm -hmm. they were just very baffled by everything they were like people do this like what's going on like you're not just having cake like in somebody's basement (laughs) like it's you know they they weren't used to it being such a fuss and like a generation before them it literally was just like my grandparents like she wore a wedding suit like there was really no wedding they just like I think maybe had dessert in the rectory after the service <laughs> like that was it <laughs> so it does make you think like it's become much bigger in the past yeah. century or so yeah or even just in the last like 10 years one of my coworkers this week was like for some reason telling me all about these like elements of weddings he's been to lately and they were all like completely foreign and like way more intense <laughs> from like even when we were getting married it's just like chill out everyone <laughs> Well, yeah, even now everyone does sort of like destination bachelorette and bachelor parties too, which. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yes, I've also been talking to people who are like, oh, like so and so is getting married and now I have to fly to Nashville for a week. And I'm like, with what? (laughs) What is this? This is just. Well, it's always Nashville. Like people just go to Nashville now. (laughs) Yeah. It's like. Nashville, Vegas, Austin, New Orleans. Those are the ones I've been hearing about. But I'm glad that we sort of missed a lot of that stuff because I would have been like, no. Like, if I'm paying to go to one of these cities, I'm doing what I want to do and I'm choosing when I go and who I go with. I mean, maybe I just secretly am Spencer Tracy because I'm just like, no, (laughs) not doing it. That checked out. I feel like you are secretly Spencer Tracy. You just have to find a a, a Catherine Hepburn. (laughs) Exactly. I was like, well, I do like Catherine Hepburn a lot. Also Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not as much of a jerk, though. Don't worry. Yeah. Hopefully I'm not a jerk or an alcoholic. Um, (laughs) Nope. (laughs) So there were a couple of funny things that I just, like, wanted to call out. I liked when he was sort of going through the mental Rolodex of the guys that Kay had dated. And they would just show them for, like, two seconds. I forgot was, about that. That was amazing. And I thought, like, if I had been choosing, I would have picked either the Bebop Hound or the Radical. Because yeah. they, I found them the most appealing. Yeah. Could you believe that she had, like, a real trousseau? Like, no. That was, I thought that was, I was like, do people still do that in this time? But I guess yeah, they did. I mean, I guess so. Well, and it's funny when, like, that, that came up because, like, there was supposed to be the list of guests that he was going to take to work and have his secretary work on planning your daughter's wedding at work with the help of your I thought about that too I was like this isn't work <laughs> this is... <laughs> and yet she like has 
planned, clearly planned other people's weddings at work because she knows like, oh, imagine that the cost of the reception is three seventy five a head or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I th- think that checks out that people use their secretaries like social secretaries too. Like they'd be like, oh, your anniversary's coming up. Do you want me to order the flowers? Like that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I could go on about the father role, but I will not belabor the point. But I would just say like... <laughs> overall pleasant enough movie it actually made me curious to watch the sequel father's little dividend oh yeah which i have no context for because i never saw the 90s sequel where they have babies but like i liked it well enough but it was a little bit slow yeah i agree i you know i was kind of like wait this is all that it is it's just planning for this wedding <laughs> could you pick it up a bit like what is, how are you making a 90 minute movie about this i've been living my own life making my own decisions for a long while now it's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again <laughs> do you think we're ready to do the backdoor test yeah and i think it'll be short <laughs> i don't think it passes no i don't think so i mean they don't the entire movie is just about the wedding and her getting married so yeah. yeah, to the extent that there are like conversations about something other than that, they're brief and uh, most likely have a man, man involved. So. Yeah, so I guess maybe not surprising for a movie from this time. <laughs> we all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. What about social justice? Did you think there was anything? I mean, I was curious about the role of the maid. Because um, yeah. I noticed that she like got to attend the the wedding instead of the first row with the family, and she was the only dark skinned face in the like the wedding crowd, which I had I just thought was like noticeable, and I was just curious sort of what the like cultural expectation at the time for like maids going to like family events were um yeah that is true i do wonder like if you were if you worked with a family like that for a long time if if you would get to be close but i guess you know there'd be certain lines that were not crossed because it's still like an employee relationship but yeah i mean i think that that's true i mean that that's a good point and all but overall it seemed kind of like fairly well to do people with not any kind of real problem i mean the biggest the only time that there's like a real conflict in this movie is about like where is the honeymoon gonna be yeah and she wants to be somewhere fancy and he wants to go fishing yeah and don't they end up going fishing yeah they end up going fishing because i guess she realized she was being unreasonable and it does seem like i think i would also be mad if my partner planned the honeymoon to be a fishing like something that was centered around a hobby that Mm -hmm. they do by themselves that i do not share (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm not sure. But yeah, so basically, I, I just didn't see a very strong social justice message. Yeah, um, I'd like to see more of it. Yeah, it was very much just like, well, wealthy people problems that and mm-hmm. he, they complain about stuff. But in the end, they spend everything anyway, and they're all fine. And they spend everything and they're all fine. <laughs> they spend the money, all goes as it should. The end. <laughs> Oh, well, what rating would you give it? I think I'm going to be very mild and give it a three because it was pleasant. I'm glad we watched it, but like, it wasn't a ton of plot. There wasn't any like social justice and it doesn't pass the Bechdel test. So 
be kind of blah about it. I think, yeah, I'm going to give it a two and a half, I think, which Mm -hmm. isn't really to say anything too bad about it. It was just like, it was fine. You know, I would probably watch it again, like sort of in the background if it was on TV, but I, I wasn't head over heels for it. And I wasn't wild about the patriarchal themes. You weren't wild about the patriarchy? No. (laughs) I did think Elizabeth Taylor was, like, she looked beautiful in it. We didn't talk about the costumes, but her gown was really great. Like, I I actually liked the clothing throughout, like, even in the beginning where she kind of comes down the stairs and she's wearing a kerchief and, like, a flannel shirt. So I liked, I mean, like, it visually it was nice. I liked the closing scene, too, with um, where it was just Stanley and Ellie dancing to what I assume was their song mm-hmm. like in the midst like that was a very mm-hmm. nice shot so there were things that I liked about it that I would revisit but it's I wouldn't be like oh my gosh everyone you have to watch this movie yeah I I agree with that and I think like having it describing it as something nice to have on in the background is like some pleasant background noise <laughs> I wonder what it would be like to watch this movie with the sound off and just <laughs> sort of like get the visuals but like although I don't know if like all Spencer Tracy's like scowls and stuff would bring that down <laughs> father of the bride scowl yeah uh, well so <laughs> Hill, what's our next movie oh our next movie is A Song is Born yeah which I think will be another pleasant film kind of returning to Louis Armstrong to come back here. yes that's true and Benny Goodman. That's right, yeah. May it please the court, I submit that my entire line of defense is based on the proposition that persons of the female sex should be dealt with before the law as the equals of persons of the male sex. Follow The Screen Sirens on Twitter at The Screen Sirens. And leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud to help other people find us. Thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day.